Today's scripture will be coming from 1 Corinthians 15, 13-19. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain. Your faith also is vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God. And he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if he... If if in fact the dead are not raised, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, for your faith is worthless, you are still in your sins, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are all, all men most to be pitied. There are many places that stand empty today, places that are usually very, very busy. Many restaurants that do their best business on a Sunday are empty. Many malls and shopping centers are empty. Many workplaces are empty. But, beloved, there's one more place that's empty that we're going to talk about this morning, and that is the grave of Jesus Christ. Because the Bible tells us he arose, as we sing, and he is indeed alive. In our text this morning is going to be from Matthew chapter 28. In fact, it's the very verses that uh, Brother Ken read during the Lord's Supper. So um, I, we didn't plan that, but it happens, and I believe that's God's hand. And so I'm not going to read it verbatim, though we are going to, because Ken did a real good job in reading it. I'm sure you heard that. And so we, but we are going to be uh, taking our lesson from that. So if you will turn to Matthew chapter 28. Um, brethren, in this text, Jesus has been murdered and he's been buried and he's been in the grave for three days, just like the Bible says. And his disciples, as Ken referred to, uh, their leader is dead. He has been murdered. He's been murdered by the most powerful nation on the face of the earth, the Roman army. He's been buried, and their cause and their mind is lost. Their hopes are shattered. Their future is in jeopardy. They're hiding. They're in great fear because usually with the Roman government, when they took a leader out, they would also try to get to his followers and, and, and kill all of them to stop any kind of rebellion or insurrection, as the Bible would say. So they had good reason to be hiding. They had good reason not to be out in public. They were social distancing in a real big way. And, uh, and, and, and brethren, they were, they were afraid, and they had given up. Their, their leader was dead now. And, in fact, when the Bible says that a little shortly after this that Peter and Andrew and James and John, when they said, we're going fishing, they did not mean for a casual day with a cane pole in your hand. They were going back to their old profession. When Jesus had come to them and said, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men, and the Bible said they immediately left their nets on the shore and followed him. Well, now they don't think that they can continue to follow him. Beloved, the worst type of existence is one of ongoing fear and uncertainty that Jesus' disciples are feeling at this moment. There's not, uh, not being able... Uh, it, it, this, is, this is one kind of a, a, a not being able to know, right, to be sure... It, it is a feeling of hopelessness. And a lot of people have that for various reasons 
in their line. But let me tell you what, that was on a Friday, beloved, and Sunday's coming, as they say, and an empty tomb changed every bit of that. An empty tomb changed their perspective and their life for an eternity. The resurrection replaces terrifying fear with a blessed hope and, as we sing, a blessed assurance. It literally changed the lives of those disciples. And I want to comment on Matthew 28, the first 10 verses today. Uh, verses 1 and 2 tells us that the angel, as Ken mentioned, also had rolled away the stone, and the Bible says he sat upon it. Now, brethren, that's very unique. We need to understand that. That's not just thrown in there just for some little trivia type of information. And what he's saying, when, the, when the God's angel, when God's representative sat upon that stone, it's as if to defy earth and hell to ever roll it back again. It's not going to happen. In battle in that day and age, the victor would place his neck on uh, his, his foot on the neck of the defeated. And that was, a, that was a, uh, an indication that we won, we're the victor, we have defeated our enemy. And that's exactly what that angel setting on that stone means. It's not going to go back again. Jesus is risen. He's never to die again. And we serve a risen Lord, not the memory of a dead leader. And verses 3 and 4 tells us this, if you're following along, I think this is very interesting his appearance was like, talking about the angel, his appearance was like lightning and his clothing, in, uh, his clothing as white as snow. The guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men, literally fainted away. Beloved, these are not, these are not needing a safe space college student. These are hardened, battle-scarred, Roman soldiers who were taught by the Roman army to fear nothing. And they fainted away at the sight of God's representative. That is true fear, isn't it? And that's exactly what they did. It took a great deal to alarm Roman soldiers, but just the appearance of one of God's angels and a whole guard of soldiers are terrified to the point of fainting if one angel, brothers and sisters, can do that to battle-scarred, hardened soldiers, what is it going to be like on the day of judgment as 1 Thessalonians 1, 9? What terror is going to strike the unsaved when Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, plural, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them who know not God and who do not obey the gospel? Of Jesus Christ. If one angel could cause that kind of fear, brothers and sisters, then the the expectation of a myriad of them, as the Bible says in Revelation, coming to this earth is going to flat out strike some fear in those who have not taken advantage of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and given their life to God. Verse five. I want to note the contrast because you you have here um, these ladies. You know, I don't know if they actually saw the Romans. Uh, um, faint away the the guards or if they got there after that time we don't know but um verse 5 says this the angel said to the women do not be afraid for i know that you are looking or seeking for jesus who has been crucified and he is not here he is risen just as he said come see the place where he was lying brethren you notice the contrast of the two groups here here's these hardened, unholy, ungodly Roman soldiers faint from fear, but the, to those who follow Christ, 
The message is don't be afraid. Fear not. Why? Because I know you seek Jesus. Brothers and sisters, as long as we're constantly seeking our Lord, we don't need to be afraid of anything. We don't have to do that. We don't have to hoard toilet paper. We don't have to raise little chickens for eggs whose eggs ain't going to be ready for six months. We don't have to do anything like that. Brothers and sisters, and I'm not trying to underplay anything as, as we oftentimes get accused of. I'm talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and to those who follow Christ, there's nothing in this world should shake us. Those who seek the resurrected Lord need not fear. And we need to seek him as we sang this morning. The Bible tells us precisely how to seek him as we sang in Matthew 6, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and you'll be blessed. Brethren, there's so many people that claim to be Christians today that seek him at Easter and seek him at Christmas and seek him when they're in a crisis. They don't seek him first. He's not first and foremost in their life. And so they have reason to fear. But when we put God first in all that we do, when we surrender all to him, as we say, then we're not going to have to fear anything. Now, you see verses 6 through 8. He says in verse 6, he's not here. He's risen just as he said. He said, I've told you this. Come, and he says, come see the place where he was lying. They needed proof, you know. We're human beings, and he shows them. The tomb is empty. And then what does he tell them to do? Go quickly. And tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you, he allowed them to see the, the tomb. He allowed them to understand Jesus was, was risen from the grave. And then the angel gives these ladies a mission, and it's our mission today. But those who seek the risen Savior, our mission is, to, as he said, you go and tell others. That's what we need to be doing now, brothers and sisters. We serve a risen Savior. We need to be sharing him with others. And he said, you go to his disciples and you tell him certain things. So he gives the ladies a mission. And boy, they're anxious to fulfill that mission. And we ought to be as anxious today to do so. And so, brethren, he tells them, uh, beginning in verse 8, um, and, uh, and they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy, and ran to report it to his disciples. The angel said to the ladies, don't be afraid. And so what do they do? They leave what? With fear and great joy. It's taking them a little while. It's going gonna, it's gonna to come in. But that seems like a strange combination, doesn't it? It doesn't it seem with fear and great joy, verse 8. There's the beginning of these ladies' faith, right? They want to believe Brothers and sisters, he's alive. They've looked at an empty tomb, but they're afraid, right? They're fearful. But in spite of that fear, uh, they're fearful that their hopes are going to be shattered again. But we see, brothers and sisters, in spite of that fear, they, in, in, let me get that straight. In spite of that fear, they still have great joy. There's a lot of non-Christians today fall into this category, I believe, as they struggle with seeking Christ. There's some of you out there that you haven't made up your mind yet. You're searching. You're looking. You're trying to determine what's the best thing to do. But you know what? The fear. You've got fears in your life, young people. You've got fear in your life. Those of you that are seeking Jesus right now, you've got the fear of letting go, right? You've got the fear of dying to yourself, as the Bible says. You've got the fear of changing your life in a very big way. You, that's fearful, isn't it? The, the fear of surrender, the fear of something completely different. And yet, if you're where you ought to be, the joy over understanding that you can have your sins forgiven and all the many blessings of Christ, and then in the end, a home in heaven with, Lord, with the Lord for an eternity, 
that brings joy. I want us to notice in our text, brethren, that it was not they had, it didn't say they had great fear and joy. It said they had fear and great joy. They're going, they're excited about what they're seeing. Now, verses 9 and 10, what does he tell them then? Uh, he says, he says, uh, he says, Behold, Jesus met and greeted them, and they came up and took his feet and worshipped him. And Jesus said to them, Jesus told them the same thing the angel said, Do not be afraid. And then he gives them the mission that the angel had given them, the same mission. You go, uh, you take word to my brethren to leave uh, for Galilee, and there they will see me. Brothers and sisters, Jesus says, do not be afraid. Literally, in the Greek, it means stop being afraid. When a seeker finds and worships the resurrected Lord, their fear will be driven away and replaced with hope and assurance. And as our text says, great joy. But not before coming to Christ. Until a person comes to Christ, there's going to be fear. There's going to be uncertainty. They take these great studies and they ask what people are afraid of. I want to I offer some today and tell us how Jesus takes care of them. A whole lot of people have a fear of the future. You know, we're in uncertain times in our country and across this world right now. And beloved, this isn't the first time. It certainly is not. But a lot of people have the fear of the future. And for the ungodly, they need to have. They, Paul reminds us in, eight, in Ephesians chapter 2 that those who are without Christ in this world are without hope. They have no real future except, as the Bible is going to say, a, a horrible one. For the ungodly in this lifetime, a very uncertain future, and, in the, and at best, a terrifying future in the next life is what the Bible tells us if they're not right with God. So they have reason to fear. The unbeliever, the atheist, the humanist, they don't believe in the afterlife, so, so they have a hopeless con, uh, conclusion um, to life is, as Paul, when quoting them in 1 Corinthians 15, 32, the Epicureans who didn't believe in God, he quoted one of their saying, if Jesus hadn't risen from the grave, then let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. That's all there is to it. And so for a lot of people, they have to look at it that way. But for the saved, our future is secure, brothers and sisters. It's secure in the hands of the resurrected Christ. Someone has said, I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. And that's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who overcame death, who overcame Satan, who overcome and resurrected from the grave and is going to resurrect us as well, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Christians can look to the future with an eagerness like a child eagerly awaits for Christmas, right? There's a song that Bill and Gloria Gaither wrote back in the 70s. We've sang it. I imagine everybody has. I like what it says, and it's, it says because the title is Because He Lives. God sent His Son. They called Him Jesus. He came to love, heal, and forgive. He lived and died to buy my pardon. An empty grave is there to prove my Savior lives. And then the course, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future, and life is worth the living 
just because he lives. Isn't that the truth, brothers and sisters? Because he lives, we don't have to fear a virus. Because he lives, we don't have to fear two world wars, a great depression, several recessions, ongoing wars, unemployment, loss of health, loss of finances, loss of loved ones, even, as we're going to see Paul remind us in 1 Corinthians 15, even physical death. Beloved, we don't have to fear those things. We don't, well, I'm not saying we don't take them serious. We don't have to fear them. They cannot defeat us. And so we have people that fear the future. Jesus has taken care of that for people that's in him. Secondly, there's a fear of death that a lot of people have. A lot of people fear death. Those who have been at the deathbed of the unsaved know that they died terrified. I have been there, brethren. I have watched people literally die without Jesus Christ. And it's not a pretty picture. The last words of many famous unbelievers attest to this as they have recorded them throughout history. Those folk fight death. They plead with all of their might not to die because the Savior and the God that they have denied all of their life, they suddenly know on their deathbed they're going to face him. But brethren, that's not so for the Christian. Look at what Paul says for the Christian in 1 Corinthians 15. And understand, <coughs> we're going to start with verse 54. And understand prior to this, he's saying Jesus has risen from the grave. That's what 1 Corinthians 15 is all about, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And because he's resurrected, we can know this now. And he says in verse 54, but when this perishable, talking about the human body, will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. How can the Christian have victory even in death? He, said, he quotes, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Where was it? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But brothers and sisters, we, because of the resurrected Christ, are no longer condemned for those sins. And so he says, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, that's been taken care of for us, right? For to me to live as Christ and to die is gain. This is what Paul says continues to say in Philippians 1 what it means to be in Christ and to have our sins taken away. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. See, dying is a victory for the Christian. Dying is gain for the Christian. We win, brothers and sisters. He said, if I live on the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which to choose. He was a great lover of lost souls. And he said, the longer I can stay on this earth, the better I can, more people I can win to Jesus. He said, but I'm hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Brothers and sisters, why? I, I know why. I'm, not, I'm, I'm saying this kind of just to get us to think, but, but I wonder why sometimes us Christians, when we hear of a loved one that's in Christ, that's a faithful servant of God, is dying, and we really get upset about that. We really, we really moan and groan over that, you know? And the reason we do is because we're human and we love them and we're selfish and we don't want them to depart from us. But brethren, they're going to a very much better place, amen? They're much better off. They're, we're the ones that's going to be left behind to suffer. They're going to heaven to be with the Lord for an eternity, and that's good news. Why can we have that blessed assurance? Because Jesus resurrected from the grave. And that's why we can know that, you see. 
And so people that fear death don't have to fear death as long as they're in Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, we can literally spit and die, old man, death. You know, we can do that. It's not going to bother us. We're going to be with the Lord forever. That's a good thing. And then, of course, there's the fear of judgment. All those people that, that try to put that off and try to act like there's not going to be a judgment, brethren, I know for a fact you get on their deathbed with them and you'll see. There's that fear of judgment. For those who forsake God, the Bible says we need, they are going to be horribly, horribly fearful, and rightfully so. Hebrews 10 uh, let's read two sections from Hebrews 10, verses 26 and 27. If we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. Jesus Christ is the only sacrifice. But what, what, what remains for those folk? But a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. For, uh, okay? And so then, and then the next section he says there, brothers and sisters, for we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. He's talking about people who are lost and who are not ready to meet Jesus. That is a terrifying thing, isn't it, brothers and sisters? And then um, Matthew 25 contrasts judgment day for the lost and the saved. There's going to be a judgment day for everybody, for the lost and the saved, but boy, they're going to be two different days for the people. And this is why, okay? But when the Son of Man comes, Jesus says in Matthew 25, when he comes in his glory and all the angels with him, that's a bunch of them, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left and the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed of my father inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. That's going to be good news for those who have given their life to the resurrected Lord. What about those who have refused so? Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, accursed ones, into a, the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. God has prepared heaven for certain people. He's prepared hell for the others. These will go away into eternal punishment but the righteous into eternal. Where are you at, friend? The choice is yours. You may need to fear the day of judgment because of the way you're living. You absolutely need to fear that. That's a good, healthy fear. need to do something about it. But for those who serve the resurrected Lord, John says that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, 1 John 4, 17. Isn't that amazing, brothers and sisters? The Bible says we don't have to shrink away from shame from the Lord in the day of judgment because our sins have been taken care of. Beloved, listen, an empty tomb relieves our fear, whatever they may be. The fear of future, the fear of death, the fear of judgment, the fear of some disease, the fear of death, the fear of, the, the fear of loss, the fear of whatever if we're in Christ, brothers and sisters, we're going to overcome because, as the song says, he's alive. He's alive. He's alive, and I'm forgiven. Heaven's gates are open wide. He's alive. He's alive. He's alive. We serve a living Savior, a risen, Lord. But let me tell you what, beloved, that's not the end of his mission. A lot of people say, well, he rose from the grave, he went back to heaven, and that's the end of his mission. No, ma'am. No, sir. It's not. The Bible says he's waiting 
for God. You say go. And then he's coming back. Now here's the good news for those who've surrendered their life to this risen Lord. In verse John 14, verse 3, he says, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, that where I am, there you may be also. That's in heaven, brothers and sisters. He's talking about his faithful disciples, who he's coming back for. Just as assuredly as Christ arose, we're going to also. The Bible says that. Jesus says in John eleven twenty five, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. So, beloved, where are your priorities? Let me read you a little quote that somebody said, and I don't even have the person. It was one of these anonymous quotes. But it says, Blessed are those to whom Easter is not a hunt, but a find. Not outward fashions, but inward grace. Not a day but an eternity, but a lifelong commitment to our risen Savior. Let me ask you this morning, as we celebrate Christmas, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, as we celebrate Easter and an empty tomb, have you committed your life to the resurrected Christ? Have you committed your life to the one who died for you? If you haven't done so, Friend, please take care of that now. Because just as assuredly as Jesus rose from that grave, and he, he's going to return. And there will be a day of judgment. We want you in Christ. He died so you could live with him forever. If you've not got that right, contact us, please. Please contact us. And let's get that right before the day's over. Thank you. Let's have our invitation.